I'm going to pray for Simon as he comes up to read God's Word to us. If you'd like a Bible, just place your, just put your hand up and the ushers will bring one round. We're going to be reading from Isaiah, this ancient prophet, on page 491. Let me pray. Dear Lord, be with us as we hear your words given so long ago through Isaiah the prophet. Help us to understand it and to be amazed by you as we hear your word to us and transformed by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest with him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked." Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. Thanks, Simon. A friend of mine bought a house, and it was a little bit one of those sort of fixer-upper houses, a bit run down. And the garden in particular was in need of some tender love and, and care. He had these apple trees that were decades old and had just gone nuts. They'd gone wild and taken over everything. And they produced hundreds and hundreds of apples, but these weren't kind of delicious, lovely apples that you might be imagining. They tasted disgusting. There were thousands of them and they were feral. So one day he'd had enough of them. So he went crazy in the garden, hacking them down. He filled the green bin just with the apples and piled up all the wood to dry out so he could burn it. Now, my friend's a a bit of a nutter, really, so um, there were a couple of hitches to his plan, like he got impatient and tried to burn the wood before it was properly dried out and smoked out the entire suburb. And the green bin was so full of these apples that the, the truck could not actually lift it. But in the end, he got there, he cleared his yard, and all he had left was a few stumps of these apple trees. How long do you give a fruit tree that doesn't produce fruit before you give up on it? I had this dilemma myself recently. I went through all the the phases that you do, you know, of fruit tree grief when they don't produce fruit. I had a lemon tree that wasn't doing it. First phase is denial. This year, this year it will produce fruit. Second phase was I blamed myself. I'm just not watering it enough. I'm just not fertilizing it enough. It's my fault. Then I got angry. I'm sick of mowing around you, you ungrateful tree. 
And then I went through the final phase where I mowed over the top of it. <laughs> and Kathy's getting a lemon tree for Christmas this year. Over the last few weeks, as, as I said earlier, we've been looking at Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah, the ancient prophet. And Isaiah's message to God's people seven, over 700 years before Jesus was born was that they were like a fruit tree that wasn't producing any fruit. And God was about to cut them down using the nation Assyria as his axe. Now, this doesn't really sound like a Christmassy kind of message, does it? I mean, our hope at Christmas is to kind of stop and put aside the negatives of this world just for a day. Our hope on Christmas Day is just to, to not worry about our problems for a day. We want to just appreciate, count our blessings, appreciate what we have. But Isaiah, he has quite a different perspective on Christmas. And a lot of the Bible does too. In the Bible, Christmas, it's not about ignoring the bad and just focusing on the good for a day, as, as a good a thing as that might be to do occasionally. Christmas in the Bible is actually about focusing on God's eternal solution to the bad. Christmas is about focusing on the eternal future, the eternal future good that God is bringing about because of what He's done at Christmas time. You have to feel the weight of our problem to be able to feel the tremendous joy of Christmas. Through Isaiah, God said to his people, the problem for them is that the axe is swinging. And in case you think that God's overreacting, let me just give you a few more details. God hadn't given them a few years to sort themselves out. God had given them hundreds and hundreds of years. And it wasn't even that they produced no fruit. It was more like they produced toxic fruit. They exploited the poor. Their leaders were corrupt and violent and the people followed suit. Even though God had saved them out of slavery and protected them again and again from the nations around them, still they worshipped other gods. And the prophets that he sent to them, they ignored or even killed. These people even offered their own children as sacrifices to their gods. So at that point, God said, enough is enough. He was done. Look at the Lord's message through Isaiah in 10.33. See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled, the tall ones will be brought low. They were about to experience God's anger. He was sending Assyria to cut them down like a tree. But with God, His anger is never His final word. And that's exactly what we see today in Isaiah chapter 11. Look at 11 verse 1 again. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. God was going to bring fruit out of Israel's failure through a king to come. He was finally going to achieve fruit through a future king. God's anger is not his only word. His anger is not his last word. This is God's last word. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father. So God's saying here that 
he was going to bring a king from David's dynasty that would be different to the rest. This, this line of kings was supposed to shepherd God's people by leading them in what was right. But instead they were corrupt and greedy and proud and they actually ended up leading people away from God. But God's saying here from this dynasty, from the ruins of this dynasty, from the ashes, from the stump, something small and fragile is going to grow. Not strong and proud like a tree, just a shoot. But this new growth is finally going to bring about the fruit that God's been looking for. Anger is never God's last word. Mercy is. Mercy to see humanity flourish and finally achieve its purpose. Through Isaiah, God was very clearly saying here that he was going to raise up a future king who would achieve what none of the others could. And we see why this king will be different in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And this brings us to our second point. God was going to raise up a king who will succeed because he'll be led by the Spirit of God. A king led by God's own Spirit. This king will be different because God's Spirit will rest on him. So we read he'll have wisdom. He'll have understanding, counsel and might. He'll know the Lord like no other king before him. And did you notice he'll fear the Lord like no other person before him. So much so that in verse 3, he'll actually delight in the fear of the Lord. He loves it. So true wisdom and understanding will always begin and end in fear of the Lord. This is actually just common sense when you think about it. If God really exists and he's interested in his world, then the biggest, most basic, most important truth there is is that we should recognize his absolute power and authority. So you can be incredibly smart, but until we fear God, we lack the most basic and necessary wisdom there is. Fear of God, recognizing and responding to his absolute power, is the start of wisdom. But fear of God isn't a negative thing. This isn't a kind of cowering fear. This is a confident fear. Later on, Isaiah goes as far as to say, the Lord will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. When you fear God, you need fear nothing else. Well, the people Isaiah spoke to, they were experts in ignoring God. And they were like this because they didn't fear God. They had no fear of God. They made the mistake of thinking either that God would never wield an axe against them. God's too loving. He's too kind to do that. Or they were thinking, who's afraid of God's axe? Either way, they didn't fear him. And our world today is not much different. But here in Isaiah, God says he's going to raise up a king who would be different to all other people. A king who will delight in the fear of God. A king who loves to recognize the absolute authority of God. And because of that, look at what he'll be like in verse 3. He'll not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth. Unlike the other kings, he's not ignorant 
or subjective or prejudiced. He delivers justice for all people. And he's not arrogant, but don't think that means he'll be weak. Have a look at verse 4. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. This king, his, his power lies not in armies, not in the sword, but in his words. This is saying more than just the pen is mightier than the sword, by the way. That might be true. But the kind of power pictured here goes well beyond both the power of the pen and the sword. This is power to speak and to bring things into being. This is power like God used to create the world. This is power like only God can wield. And if you think about it, it would be completely terrifying in the hands of most people. But not in this king's hands. Look at what this power will accomplish in the hands of this king. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. And this brings us to our last point. This king will bring about an unearthly peace. I mean, the idea of of a baby playing with a snake's nest is such a powerful image because it's so unnatural. Everything within us recoils at this idea. So powerful will this king be? So effective will his rule be? That this this world will experience peace like our, our minds can't even comprehend. This world will return to harmony, the harmony of the Garden of Eden even. This future king will bring people back into harmony with God. And by doing this, he will bring people back into harmony with each other and with their world. Look at verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, not only will this king know God himself, but through his reign, all people will be saturated with the knowledge of God. All creation will know what it means to be at peace with God. And finally, all creation will become what it was always meant to be. Even though Isaiah wrote over 700 years before Jesus' birth, it's obvious that this is talking about Jesus, that Jesus is the king he's talking about. God showed Isaiah that his last word wouldn't be anger. His last word would be Jesus. His mercy to the family of David, his mercy to Israel, his mercy to the whole world would be the coming of this king to reign. What Isaiah begins to hint at and what we get to see without a doubt is that Jesus is not simply a human king only. You know, Jesus is the shoot of Jesse, but he is the root of Jesse as well. Jesus is the one who is promised, but he's the one who who gives the promise too. Jesus is the one who the Spirit of God rests on, but he is also the one who pours out the Spirit of God. Jesus is the one king who truly recognizes the authority of the Father, but he is also the one king who shares in the authority of his Father. 
Jesus is the Son given to us. But more than that, He is God the Son Himself with us. Isaiah saw that the first Christmas, 700 years before it happened, he saw it and he rejoiced. Because he saw that it would bring an end to the evils in his world around him by bringing the king that, his, that God's people needed. Not a band-aid fix, but an eternal solution. Until we share the same view of Christmas that Isaiah had, we'll miss the true joy of what God's doing. We're not too bad at, at putting our problems aside for a day, if we're fortunate. But in Jesus, God promises to put them aside forever. If you look through the news, uh, it's already started. It always happens towards New Year's. But um, you flick through the stories, I've, I've noticed a trend. Quite a few people are labelling 2016 a terrible year. Has anyone else noticed that? It's quite depressing. In, in many ways, it's not really that different to any other year. And it's not that different to more years like this that will come. But it is completely different to what God is bringing about when Jesus returns. Jesus is going to accomplish what none of us can. Through Jesus, God will finally bring fruit from humanity. Jesus will finally cause us to achieve our purpose. Not individual self-fulfillment, that's not our purpose. The kind of purpose that Jesus achieves in us is that He will bring us to our purpose of fully knowing God, of being at peace with God, in harmony, under His rule, in a world of perfect peace. A few years ago, I went camping straight after Christmas and a friend tripped over one of the tent ropes that was there on the tent and he hit the ground and he started screaming in such a comic way that we all thought he was mucking around and, and just hamming it up. But he wasn't mucking around. His kneecap was sideways. Now, luckily, there was a physio there who recognised what was wrong and wasn't laughing like the rest of us. She walked up calmly, knelt down, did some amazing but disgusting things with her hands and moved the kneecap sideways and instantly the screaming stopped. Now, our world is a bit like that. It's, it's out of joint. Some of us feel it more at Christmas time than others. Sometimes we feel it more in other years than in other years. But without a doubt, our world is not in harmony with God and we're not in harmony with each other. But Jesus was born to put that right. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection is all about. It's what his return, especially, will be all about when we will finally get to see things put exactly as they should be. We don't ignore what's wrong with this world for a day. Instead, we rejoice in God's solution and the future that's coming because of it. The reality is God's axe is, is raised over us as well. Our world's out of joint and we've contributed to it. But like to them, God's last word to us is not anger. It's mercy. We too can be grafted into what this branch is doing, this branch that produces fruit. Anyone who brings themselves under Jesus' rule can be a part of the world that He will bring. 
When's the best time to do this? When's the best time to come under his rule? Well, it seems to me it's kind of like asking the question, when is the best time to plant a tree? The answer is 30 years ago, right? The second best time is now. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can not just ignore our problems for a day, but we can know that you are putting them aside for all eternity in this King come to rule. We thank you so much for Jesus, that in him is the solution to our every problem. Every pain that we feel or every pain that we see others feeling. Lord, we thank you for the joy that comes knowing that this is temporary. That when he returns, this world will be flooded with the knowledge of you. And Lord, we know that that is to be flooded with every good thing. Peace, harmony, joy. Lord, we long for that. Give us a taste of it today and always. But Lord, we know that the solution will come when Jesus finally comes back. Thank you, Lord, for grafting us in so that we too can produce fruit, the fruit that this King enables us to produce. Lord, help us to see that in Him is the answer to every question this world may raise. Lord, we pray that you would give us a fresh view of this today, to see Christmas the way Isaiah saw it, the way you pointed it out to him all those years ago. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.